Hello and welcome to this week's instalment of Nucleus Investment Insights. We have another special guest this week in Stephen Mitchell, who is co-founder and CEO of Melbourne-based property finance company Oak Capital and specialty lender Resicom. In today's interview, we dive into Stephen's take on the current state of the Australian property market, some reflection on the past and his views on where he thinks it's headed. Yep, so we've got uh, Stephen in today from, from Resicom. One of the key investment uh, factors we're looking at at the moment is the Australian property market and really trying to see whether is that going to hold up or not. And so we've seen in Perth, uh, as unemployment rose, that um, despite loose lending conditions, uh, the, the value of property still continues to fall. And we've also seen that post-Royal Commission, when banks all pulled back on their lending, we saw properties, property prices fall. So we're very uh, keen on looking at this element of the market. And what we're really trying to get him in for today is, is to give us an on-the-ground view of what's happening at the lending market. Now, he's what you call a third-tier lender. So uh, banks being first-tier, there's a bunch of second-tier lenders, and, and he's sort of lending at, at the um, at the more bespoke, and I guess people who uh, have some pretty, pretty special needs who can't get lending elsewhere. And we thought this is a great area for us to look at because this is where we'll really see uh, some of the pressures and some of the strains that are happening in terms of the Australian property market. After the interview, we'll then look at some of the wider investment implications that these themes can impact on how we invest money every day here at Nucleus Wealth. So join Nucleus Wealth's Head of Investments, Damien Classen, and myself, Tim Fuller, as we learn more about the current state of Melbourne's property market from a well-respected mortgage industry veteran who sits right at the coalface. I hope you enjoy. Today on the show, we have founder and CEO of specialty lender Resicom, co-founder of mortgage fund company Oak Capital, and veteran of the Melbourne property finance world, Stephen Mitchell. Welcome to Nucleus Investment Insights. Thank you very much. Good to be here. So I thought just uh, for our listeners, if you wouldn't mind just providing a little bit of background about yourself and also obviously the companies that you're in charge of at the moment. Sure. Um, so look, I set up Resicom in 2006. Uh, I came out of a company called Latro Financial. Um, Resicom has been set up as a mortgage manager, so essentially we rebrand other funders' capital, and it's always played in that second-tier space. So everything outside of bank world is pretty much where we sit. Um, we deal with mortgage brokers that are either underserviced by other lenders or they're not sure how to get a deal done outside of the bank world because the majority of brokers out there, 95% of what they write previously, it's changed a bit in the last couple of years, but it was all bank debt. So as soon as they got a no, they didn't really necessarily know what to do with it, and that's where Resicom played. Uh, in 2013, I co-founded uh, the Oak Capital Mortgage Fund, which is a, a private lender, essentially, um, sitting just above the second-tier players like a Pepper and a Latrobe Financial um, and lending up to 12-month deals. And those loans are matched by investors, generally high net worth investors, um, that match and, and fund those deals and get a rate of return secured by a mortgage on a property. Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, and so, um, I guess, uh, given that, that sort of, uh, the breadth of experience and, and, and having, uh, and starting the, the, the fund, uh, back in 2013, was it? The fund in 13, yeah. yep. Uh, if you wouldn't mind just sort of setting the scene, perhaps, and we've sort of seen the big uplift and then the changes in, uh, in, in Melbourne property prices and, and how's that sort of affected you and, and your fund? Yeah, look, I think, um, there's two sides. Obviously, we have a lending side of the fund and then the investment side of the fund. So from a lending point of view, um, it is quieter now than what it's ever been, mm. right? And which is an interesting state because a lot of people think it's really busy out there. Um, but from 13 onwards, there was, I guess, post-GFC uh, correction in the private space. Mm. Pre-GFC, there was this everyone, every man and his dog was a developer 
And everyone, man, his dog was a, a private lender because it was all easy to do and everyone did it. GFC cleared out a lot of that. Um, and since sort of 13 onward to call it probably 17, even early 18, it was a good time to be able to lend. Property market was going up. It's pretty easy. Um, obviously, there was regulation, but the regulation that's been playing on in the lending market has always been heavily regarded the regulated space. So mm-hmm. mum and dad borrowers, home loan lending. Where we lend is all business lending. So we've always been outside of that uh, regulatory uh, space. So that area has been relatively easy to lend in. Gaining investors as a new fund has always been an issue because you need to um, build trust with your investors. But over the years, obviously, we've built that up with no investors ever losing a cent of capital. Um, but in the in the last probably 18 months, there's been a, a seismic change where we've got investors wanting to get a yield. So you've got more investors than you've ever had trying to get money into the market. And then you've got borrowers actually reducing. And the given the property values coming off, which mm. they came off quite substantially in 18, um, there's been less ability to borrow. Uh, our valuations are coming lighter. Your offers are less. There's less loans moving out, but you've got more money mm. than ever before. And of course, those investors are hounding to try and get their, their money out. And they don't always want to take less yield either to do that. And one thing we're very solid on is that we, we can adjust pricing on a loan to get money out and get a deal done. But we will never adjust our LVR. Our right. LVRs don't change. Old school private lending, 65% on a house and downward from there subject to asset class. But given this yield chase and the amount of investors out there, we've also seen a bit of a pre-GFC uh, event occur again where a lot more private lenders. There is a heap. Every single day we see a new private lender, we see a new letter of offer, because all these ex-bankers or brokers have got these high net worth investors, all of a sudden they're not running professional funds and they just want to get money out and they see there's a really easy way to make some money, a clip a ticket with some fees. And we feel that's going to become problematic. We thought it was going to become problematic already this year with the downturn in the market, but mm. I think the election saved everyone for a while because the market stopped necessarily going down and it's bubbling along a little bit. But sooner or later, if it comes off again, um, we're going to see a lot of investors potentially get a bit burnt, uh, which would be very unfortunate because we are losing deals to private lenders who are breaking the, the old school rules. They are lending bigger LVRs, low mm. rates, there's no margin in there. Mm. And if you actually speak to some of these newly formed small entities and actually talk about what happens when they default, who's going to pay the bill to go to court, it's a whole new question that they haven't really thought about. They haven't thought of it And yet. little mum and dad investor might need to start stumping up $50,000 checks. Wow. Um, so it, it's a very interesting market that's gone from being quite um, stable and able to grow at a decent rate to now you have this pressure point of capital. But you've got to be very careful to manage that because it's very easy to lend money. You've got to get it back. Mm. Um, and that's where we, we, we're just happy to sit by and ultimately write the deals that we get at the moment. Um, and not be too aggressive. Other people will buy them. So I guess as the Royal Commission started and we saw these clamps come down on, on the major banks, yep. I guess that's where um, money started to flow to, to, uh, to I guess, other lenders. Is that, is that sort of or, oh, or you're still picking up sort of through that 16, 17, 18 period? There was, there was other people popping up. Or, or new competitors popping up at that yeah, time. Yeah, so I think it's it's there's been a number of events. Obviously, the Royal Commission hasn't helped the the banking space, mm. which of course has pushed a lot more borrowers into that second tier. Yes, and then out of the second tier into the private world. So mm. We generally refer to it as three tiers: so banks, second tier is like a Latrobe Financial, Pepper, Liberty, and then third tier being private investors. Mm. Um, the second tier only has so much capacity to yeah. take on the bank debt, right? Mm. And when the banks fund 
pretty much every loan in the country previously. And then all of a sudden, the second tiers have to take on hundreds of millions a month more in advances. Mm. They start also getting better quality deals than mm. they used to get because they're doing all these bank quality loans. Yep. So then they push everything else out the next door to private. Um, and normally it's say, okay, so there should be heaps of loans. And previously there has been, as this has eventuated from probably 16 onward. Mm. But also it gets to a point where these borrowers, if the economy is not as strong, and we're talking business borrowers, they just don't necessarily want to borrow the money, mm. right? That extra, a lot of the time when we lend money, it's they've got an extra thing to do with their business. They want to grow their business. They want to get the capital. Mm. Now those borrowers generally go, uh, I'm just going to wait. So uh, the borrowers that do go ahead are the ones that are under a bit more pressure. Because mm. the ones that are doing it just to advance themselves are going, uh, I'm not going to pay that extra rate. Yeah, I'll just wait till maybe I can get a loan at a bank later. And they sit on their hands a bit. So there's so many different factors that have been playing in. And then, of course, there's also the other ones that want it, but their values are coming down. Mm. You know, their house that was 2.5 million is now 1.8. Mm. And they have real drops. You know, we, we unfortunately had to repossess and sell a property outside of Parramatta um, last year, and, and that had dropped 35% right. on the valuation yeah. in an 18 month period. Mm. And they were real big drops. Because certain markets went through the roof at a great rate of knots and they come off at the the same. So Mm. there's so many different elements um, that have controlled it. But the Royal Commission obviously has affected the banks to no end. Um, And even before the findings, they were already putting everything in place, getting ready for the findings. Mm. Um, And the developers is a whole other world again because the banks just aren't lending pretty much to any developer. Um, And there's, again, only so much money in that second tier space. And, and yeah, so most of those, uh, do you think the second tier space has, how much do you think it's expanded in terms of the, so are they, are they I guess have they got the same, you think they're facing the same pressures as you in terms of lots of investors coming to them saying, hey, can you give me a yield on anything? Yeah, I think um, if we refer to, uh, you know, Latrobe, who obviously got bought by Blackstone, yep. um, they're one of the, the biggest and best names in the second tier space. They operate a mortgage fund as well. Um but their their fund growth has been something like I can't quote it, but about fifty million net a month. Mm-hmm. It's enormous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? okay. um, now they're set up properly and they can run that show, and, and they got a big backer behind them as well. Um, but their, their settlement volumes have gone in a couple of years from circa a hundred, hundred and fifty million a month to four hundred. Mm. Well, that's a big jump. Yeah. Um, and then you've got the other guys around the edges that have all done on similar levels. Um, so that that market can take on a fair chunk, but still, even if you call that four hundred million a month and someone else doing two hundred and three hundred, that's still nothing compared to what the banks, banks are doing. Normally, yes. right? Yeah, the numbers just blow your mind. So, mm. okay, yes. yeah, sure. Um, just get a little bit of an understanding, I guess, and just just quickly, when you spoke before about primary and secondary and then private, um, just for the listeners at home, I guess, um, obviously there's a there's a difference in the um, desired or targeted rates that you sort of get. So everyone's pretty familiar with what a a standard you know um, vanilla home loan would be. Yep. Do you mind just sort of covering off on what some you know what would be expected now in the other tiers in terms yep. of um, yeah percentages? Sure. So I guess in our space, being a mortgage fund, so we are a contributory mortgage fund. So every single loan uh, is funded by an investor or a, new, or a group of investors. Okay. So there is no pool. So they don't just put their money in and get a yield. Um, so every loan also does have its own characteristics and therefore the rates can change. Uh, generally, our returns are 65 per annum through to potentially 10 per annum, depending yep. on the asset, depending on the borrower's uh, credit background, um, the speed of capital and different things that are out there. 
Um, but that versus the TD that might be now one and a half mm. is a big, big change. And I think there's an element of uh, investors out there that were somewhat comfortable at that two and a half to three percent money they used to be able to return on bank funds, even on a quantum of money that was still a decent amount potentially to live off. But at one and a half, it's going to start make you look around. You got to look You elsewhere. need alternatives. Mm. Are you going to buy high DV returning shares, or are you going to start looking at mortgage funds and that's where all these different investment grades are coming. Second tier groups, um, other funds are returning fours, fives, sixes. Yep. Um, as I said, so probably up to that spectrum of 10 is quite reasonable. Wow. And it just does come with different risks, obviously, associated with the investment. Um, from our point, the risks are if you're on a first mortgage on a house or a first mortgage on a block of land, you're going to get a different return. Mm. Now, the element of risk may not change much because the land might be a 50% ratio. The house might be at 65, might be both easily saleable, but just given it's land, yep. you can charge a higher rate and wow. it's a higher return. Okay. Mm. And I guess in, in terms of for our listeners, you know, there's obviously a, a different spectrum of, of risk within all these, as you said, like it's a, it's a chalk and cheese risk in terms of these where um, you know, the danger is often, as, as these things are sold, as they're often sold as, um, I'm sure you've seen the private space as well, as, hey, um, take your money out of your... You know, term deposit, which is guaranteed and got all these extra, you know, benefits and, you know, the banks fall over and the government still step in and give you yep. the money to, to a, an 8% mortgage, you know, through us, which you only need a few bad things, a few things go wrong and all of a sudden the 8% is gone. That, that stretch for yield can, can really snap back and, you know, it's just, to me, it's, that's sort of in the same basis as buying some, you might think they're not as risky as shares, but some of these things are, yeah, as risky and more risky than shares. Yes. Absolutely. Subject to who's writing them, there's yeah. a totally a, a different scale of risk from a return deposit. Yeah. yeah. So a return deposit Absolutely. guaranteed by the, the government mm. under two hundred fifty grand is as good as it's going to get, but yep. therefore you're going to get your rate. Yes. Um, and yeah. I, you know, not to give advice and not a financial advisor, mm. um, everyone should be spreading their money. Yeah. You know, if anyone, uh, and I've had numerous meetings with, with people that may be in their seventies and they just all of a sudden want rate and they start talking about giving you all their capital yeah the first one to say hold on <laughs> that's not a good idea yes. not that i'm not backing ourselves that you'll be fine but we just don't want all your capital yeah. because it's going to keep you awake at night yeah. right absolutely you, you need to if my We're, thoughts are this sort of investment a you need to be able to understand if you don't really understand it mm. you shouldn't be doing it and you need to it, it can't break you if you start if you do have a version of a loss yeah. If you if that's going to be the end of you, mm. you shouldn't be investing in this sort of stuff. Yeah. But yeah. to be fair, you probably shouldn't be investing in anything that has higher levels of risk. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's all you know. You just got to wait it out, don't you? And yeah. Put it across the, across the spectrum. You know, I guess with our element that uh, it is a mortgage, it's a first mortgage, and you get to know the asset mm. specifically. Mm. You're not just putting in a fund and hoping that it's ran properly. Mm. Um, does add quite a few it does take away some of the risk factors we feel um, but of course there's always elements of risk yep. the house can drop in serious yeah. value there could be fraud there could be a range of things you can mitigate it as best you can but there is risk yeah absolutely so okay so that's stepping back to I guess more about the market so I guess what are the areas you'd say that are um, we we still seeing a lot of tightness and, and people really struggling to get loans so as you, you mentioned developers so maybe we start with developers sure. I think developers is the number one. There's mm. uh, not many people that are finding it harder to get capital than developers. Even really well-heeled developers 
will not get capital through major banks. Yeah. The one thing that goes in your favour for a major bank, uh, development finance is A, a very good builder. Mm-hmm. And the builders in many cases like ANZ and a couple of other majors have specific builder lists. If your builder is not on that list, mm. they will not advance capital. It's not even worth having the conversation. And, and so even when you say development, so what's, what sort of size development, just to sort of oh, clear that up? Generally, we're, we're not talking mum and dad under three units, right? Okay. So up to your sort of three unit stuff that you'll normally get a homeowner style transaction done through a bank yep. if you tick all the boxes. Yep. Um, but outside of three units, it becomes more a commercial scale development. And then the banks are generally not playing. And they all have their own, obviously, their own uh, niches. Mm. But... Uh, believe it was ANZ not long ago had a limit. If it was under 10 million, they weren't even interested. Mm. Right? So you've got to be over 10 million in borrowings. You've got to use one of their certain builders that they've got approved. And obviously, you need to have a history with the bank. Yep. So if what we saw pre 18 uh, tightness or even late 17 when all this development stuff started getting very tight was that if you had a bit of equity, you could go do development. Every man is dog cam developer. Everyone's watching the block. Everyone thinks there's heaps of money in it. That's mm-hmm. great. Um, and everyone's doing it. Mm-hmm. But the problem is when the times change slightly, you can no longer get your capital. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where the banks are. They pulled out. Essentially, they are out of the market unless you're super solid. But the majority of people that we see aren't that experienced. They're not necessarily that solid. Um, they may have other assets around them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, have they done a 40 unit build before no they've done five mm. and they think they can now do a 40 yeah right and that's a problem they go just jump to hyperspace because they had one good project um and they all now flow through to that secondary space but again there's only so much money in that space and those guys are getting the ex-bank clients mm. so if you were never a bank client wanting to get your development finance and going okay i know i can get a loan and pay nine percent for my loan you're probably not going to get that loan because mm. that funder is getting the guy that used to go to CBA. So yep. they're getting the really good quality development deals. Mm. So then they're off to private world. And in the private world, it could be a 10 to 15% interest rate. Wow. And, but the, the drama we see is a lot of these guys already own a site. Mm. So they're half pregnant, right? Mm. And they've got to do something. And yeah. like most people, they have pride. So they don't just want to sell yeah. and get out and make their hundred grand and move on and just go, that was not a good idea and it was a bad time in my life. Well, it's they not, need it's to not making the hundred grand that well, worries them. It's, it, a, yeah. it's, a, it's a loss of the... It yeah. could be a loss, but yeah. we, we've seen plenty of deals where they had good offers to get out of deals and they've stayed the course and they've yeah. gone under. Right? Mm. They should have just got out because mm. they can't get the capital finance. Mm. And then if you're paying 15% and your feasibility was done at six and a half, yeah. <laughs> there's not a lot of profit left at the end of the game if yeah. any and then of course you have a market that's dipped you have a, a pre-sale that falls over mm. you're in trouble um so if you if you're not a super well-heeled developer it's not really a good time to be doing it um and the uh, there are certain funders out there not the major ones obviously that are looking at these as opportunities mm. they just do they yep. look and go oh, if it falls over there's, there's a bit of money in this for us to finish it off and make a heap of money out of it um, obviously not reputable, but that is out there. There is an element of that in the market and people need to be very careful of that as well. Um, but developers by far are the hardest ones to get away. Yep. And, we, and this is, so the second tier, um, are they lending, you think, more to developers than what they used to or are they yes. just sort of, they are, okay. Yeah. So they're so, not they're not sort of stepping back as well and saying, well, we don't really want to go there. The banks are sort of going, we don't want to go there unless you're big. Yeah. The second tier is going, yeah, well, okay, we'll take the We'll take all the good stuff that yeah. you guys don't want and yeah. they'll also just be tight on it. So yeah. they put up their rates a bit 
because they go, well, we can. Yep. Um, and they just drop their LVRs and they now start asking for a few pre-sales. Mm. Um, some of these lenders previously would lend um, development. They would say, look, no pre-sales. Great, mm. we'll do the deal. Now they're going, well, actually, we don't need to say that. We mm. can get a few pre-sales, so let's do it. it it's their market. Mm. Right? And mm. people will bend over backwards to get the finance. So mm. they will go with them. But once you fall out of that, then you're going to pay serious price. Um, and again, it's also... We always tell people in private space, it's not about just what the deal looks like day one. You've mm. got to look at what, how does that lender operate through that loan? Mm. The day you miss one payment by eight, you know, 24 hours, what's going to happen to you? Mm. You know, the more reputable players will support you and you'll be able to pay a week later and away we go. Mm. And it's all happy days. There are certain other lenders that will, will go harder on that. And you need to be very mindful mm. of who you're dealing with just because the rate might be 0.5% cheaper over here. It may be better off paying that extra 0.5. It's insurance. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> the kind of insurance. Um, so, so that's that's sort of what we're seeing. But they are a lot of that volume increase in secondary space has been to development finance. Yep. Um, I would suggest it's starting to be looked at again with a couple of decent collapses of seller and a few other things going on. You mean from a regulatory perspective? I or? don't know. From the internal lending internal policies, it's okay. going how much development do we really yep. want to have right now? Mm. Um, it all depends on what you think the property market's going to do. Mm. If it's going to keep staying and going up, then you're pretty. You can be pretty happy lending. Yep. Um, if you feel it's going to pull back, and you feel there's a lot of cranes on the city of Melbourne as you drive over the bridge, you may want to consider, you know, pulling in a little bit. Mm. Um, I don't see the funding for developers changing in the, the near to short to near term. Um, it's going to be very very tough. Yep. The other funding areas that are hard, which have always been quite difficult in the last number of years, apartments in general, mm. private lenders don't really want them, yeah. um, especially the dog box stuff under 50 square meters. Mm. It, it's very hard to get funded. Um, there's so many of these things now. You've got four or 500 <laughs> apartments in a building. Um, it's it's not the most appetizing thing to lend on. So unless you're a bank client. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, is that sort of predicated on the fact that the end purchaser is now facing some restrictions on the sub 50 square meters? Yeah. So that the final um, financing element is actually starting to tighten up. So that's blowing back through into the into the development of those. Well, so that blows back to developers. So that's yep. why um, a lot of the banks, etc., have major pre-sale requirements. They need more than the debt amount sold because you've got to allow that a certain amount are going to fall over. Yep. They're just never going to come through. Mm-hmm. Um, also, a lot of pre-sales, especially back in the day, were all $1,000 deposits. Yeah. They didn't really mean a lot, um, but they got a pre-sale. So, yeah. um, you know, as a as a lender as well and a, as a private lender, you need to look at who's going to take you out of a loan. Mm-hmm. Right? And second-tier lenders have much heavier restrictions on asset classes and what the banks do. Right. The banks can lend on pretty much anything if they really, really want to because mm-hmm. they've got deep enough pockets. Second years will lend restricted LVRs on high rises, on apartment size, certain things like that. And then as, as a private lender, you've got to be mindful you need to be below all that because mm. your out is for this person ideally to refinance. Yep. Your out is never that you want to sell. Yeah, that's, right. not, that's not the game. Yeah, you want them to leave and be happy and move on. But if you're lending too much, mm. they can't get out. Yep. Right. You're flooding the back end of the pipe. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, and then you've got an exposure issue in these apartment buildings as well. You need to be very mindful of. You know, if you've got 400 going, how many do you want to lend on? Mm. And what about the one next door and the one going up a week later? <laughs> like, mm. there's just so many extra elements of risk with high-rise apartments, inner-city apartments. Well, we saw that with Docklands years ago. Um, so that's another area that's pretty hard. 
Um, financing against standard resi, good commercial, well, the commercial has been quite solid through the last couple of years, yeah. um, isn't such an issue if the borrowers stack up. You know, borrower lending is obviously hard in general, with the mm-hmm. criteria that's on borrowers these days. Um, but really, those assets, developers, development, and apartments are the, the hardest parts, I think. Mm. Yeah. And so, and standard commercial lending, um, I guess smaller business commercial lending was sort of seen as, well, it seems to us that over the last 20 odd years, it's gone from, yeah, okay, we'll lend against the business to, no, yeah, we'll lend against your house. Yeah. Um, is that still the case or is, is and, yeah. and so because the banks are, I guess, are realizing that's a bit of a problem now, but yeah. is that... So I think there's a, there's a lot of goodwill and a lot of good talk that you always see and the banks, certain banks allocate X amount of billions are going to lend a small business this year and all these lovely things. Mm. But in many cases, they're not really true business loans or they're very small. Mm. Um, they're essentially a glorified personal loan. In many cases, that fits that pocket of money. Yeah. A lot of the time, the major banks do really want the security of some fixed asset. Mm-hmm. Um, so therefore, in many business cases, they just can't access the capital. We've seen a rise now of obviously unsecured lenders that have come into the market, um, the Prospers, Moolers and certain groups. They have obviously their catches are rather expensive compared to the loan that you thought you were going to get at a bank. Mm-hmm. Um, but they will lend capital and they will lend it unsecured if your cash flow is high enough to support the, the repayment okay. um, yeah. schedule. Yeah. Um, we've also seen uh, Judo Capital, which has started up now, which is SME lender, um, who will lend purely on businesses as well. And their whole case is that they're going to go back to old school banking. Mm. Yeah, right. Banker will go meet the client. If they know you, like you, trust you, and your business sounds good, they may just write the deal. Yeah. Um, and that's their whole claim to fame is we are not going to be like the major banks. We will do true business lending. Mm. Um it's it's a space that has obviously suffered and it's affecting a lot of businesses. Um, access to capital in general is affecting a lot of businesses. Even if you do try and get it against your own home, mm-hmm. we see many, many loans, um, even bank world and in second tier world, where clients have got millions of dollars in equity mm. and just cannot get a loan. Yeah, right. right? Because yeah. if your criteria doesn't stack up, mm. there's no more, well, it's your equity, take the risk. Yeah. It's no, 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 the bank might get in trouble here, so we're never going to lend money. Yeah. Yeah, right. um, which just suffocates people's access well, to capital. And, and absolutely. And it's a, that whole thing to me that, you know, from a, from a cap, you know, benefits of capitalist society is you, you, you have an idea, you can start that thing up, you've got it in the company. If everything goes wrong, well, look, everything went wrong. People had their eyes open when they went in and, and I can go and do something else without having to, you know, without blowing up my life. Whereas when you go, no, no, you're only allowed to do that if you stick your house on the line. Yeah. It's sort of almost lost. Yeah. You know, half the benefit of, of that whole yes, I can ha- I can start a company and try something new yeah. without uh, without risking my my, my livelihood. Well, just yeah, dampens the entrepreneurial aspect of a, of an economy, doesn't it? Yeah, Where, you know, right. it's got to be it's it's got to be an absolute red hot you know bet bet your house on it sort of um, style of business. Otherwise, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's just not going to get off the ground. Well, and it's that it's that sad bit as well. Where you're sort of saying, well. I've said it before on this podcast. I'll say it again. I'm sure of many times, but you know, you, the aspiration of a a person sitting in in California or something like that who wants to start a new business, you know, or an entrepreneur in in different countries is yes, I'm going to go out and I'm going to start this tech company. I'm going to start whatever. You know, I'm going to make an app. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Whereas it tends to be in Australia, I'm going to buy a house and do it up and flip, yeah. flip it to somebody else. Yeah. That's my you know, <laughs> that's my entrepreneurial spirit. And and the rest of the the rest of the people who do have an app or a, or a service or whatever have to actually have a house to to back it with it sort of cuts you into a mm. six everyone in, the, in that corner and then you have part of the over-regulation in many cases does hinder that 
at the end of the day, you have the lenders that would like to lend money to someone who has their $2 million unencumbered house mm. who wants to start a business mm. and just says, I just need 200 grand. Mm. They cannot get it. Right. Like they will not get it through a bank because mm. you need to have the business going already as a general rule of thumb. You need to show your financials for a couple of years. Right. Well, I wouldn't be asking you if it was already happening. Right? Yeah, 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 that's and right. the fact that many of these clients would say, I'm happy to risk my house. It's mm. 200 grand, it's worth 2 million. I want to do it. You cannot access capital. You just can't. Yeah. Right? Right. And then the lenders are seen to be the bad guys. If someone else does lend money to that person mm. and it doesn't go well, then it's the lender's fault. So we yeah. have this you know, two-sided issue in Australia yeah. where you've got lenders so scared to do anything because mm. they've got a, it's all their risk and why, why did you lend the money even though the borrower wanted it? Mm. And then you also have some borrowers who can't get the money even though they do want it. Mm. So it's a really tough place and it doesn't help for um, businesses, doesn't help for entrepreneurship. Mm. Um, it, it's a concern, I feel. Yeah. Um, I guess moving, sort of hitting up the, some of these developers as well. So, so the guys that are finishing halfway through, um, are, are, we, are we seeing much of other people picking it up and finishing the projects, as you said? or Because or, I, I feel like in, in past ones, you sort of you see these buildings that just sit there for, you know, 10 years or 15 years. I have a distinct memory of, of World Square in Sydney, which I went through, went through maybe 20, 30-year period of being, just being a hole in the ground while... And a few people would build something and then stop and then build something and stop and then finally had a property boom big enough that it finally went ahead. Yeah. Um, is we, We're obviously not at that stage yet where, where things are being Correct. abandoned. It seems to be more they're picked up and carried on. Is that- Yeah, I think uh, currently, given the fallover rates actually aren't that high, we don't have a major um, arrears issue in Australia as mm. yet and especially not on commercial development space. If the developers are getting them away and the finance is starting, mm they're generally not going to fall over because the financiers are capitalizing all the build costs in their loan. Mm. So if this loan does go pear-shaped, they can complete the project and they will yep. because no one wants to be selling a half-finished half high-rise. Yep. Um, and is that common? Is that where the, the lender or the bank, for example, takes over and completes the property to sort of close it out? Is it common? I don't think it's as common as people might think it is. Like right. The majority of loans will get through that stage. Where most, where most loans fall over is before they start digging up the dirt. Right. Where they just can't get the finance mm. or they've started a basement because they thought they were going to get a loan, which is a very common one, mm. especially in smaller developments, is the uh, very hunt. proud borrower who has all this money mm. thinks, I'll start and I'll get my loan sorted. <laughs> yeah. So they start and then, of course, no one wants to lend on a property once it starts. Mm. Everyone, all banks, all lenders mm. want to fund the project from the scratch. They don't want to come in when the frame's up. They don't want to come in once the slab's down. They're just not interested. Wow. You can do it again. It's going to cost you more money, different lenders, you know, uh, more review of the deal. So that's normally where most guys will fall over. They just can't get the capital right now. They've been trying forever. And that's where you'll see sites sitting around being resold numerous times. Mm-hmm. Um, but sooner or later, someone with the right backing will build it. Once the development begins, all lenders are holding back 100% of the cost to build this thing. Mm. And in many of the larger cases now, they've got the pre-sales. Whether they're worth something or not, there's generally some level of solid pre-sale in the deal. Um, and a lot of these pre-sales are now vetted. You know, Banks will vet every pre-sale to make sure it's legitimate. Um, previously, all sold to a marketing group in China, and that wasn't worth much either. Mm. Um, so you're not seeing them really fall over midway, and it would be the bank, the lender that will step in. Yep. Um, and if they've got the capital reserves, they'll do it. Probably there will be an element of risk, and we feel there's an element of risk. If the market does have another shake and another downturn, it's going to be these smaller 
um, consortiums of private lenders that have funded these that will have the problems. Because if you do not have seriously deep pockets, there's only so many you can step in and finish. Yeah, sure. All right? yeah. And you've got to be able to control it and manage it. The bigger groups are able to do that in a non-disastrous market. Yep. Um, but I don't, I don't think we see that as much as people suggest. Mm. Now, now, we're sort of moving through this sort of pig in the python part where we had this massive amount of apartment building, which is now that the, the approvals have all plummeted now, mm. but we still have the completions sort of coming through. Um, are you seeing that is how much is that affecting I guess apartment prices how much of how much of apartment prices is people concerned about um, you know cracks in buildings and and people not lending and all that type of stuff so how much of it's sort of a a demand issue and how much of it is there's just so much supply hitting the market at the moment Uh, it's a bit it's an interesting question because you have obviously the Oakville style fear um, which is running through a lot of apartment buildings actually got a scenario yesterday where uh, the loan was on an apartment building and they've been hit with a special levy, which is in the same sort of area. Wow. Um, and, of course, the question is, well, who's going to buy this thing? Mm. Who wants to carry that that ongoing levy yeah. for the next five years to repair it? And then is it still going to be great? But is it still going to have problems? Mm. Um, so uh, there is definitely a, a negative sentiment around apartments at the moment. Mm. And even if you look at... Um, it was Prima Pearl the other, which is a quality building in Melbourne. Mm. People start coming out saying there's noises in the building. Mm. Anyone looking to buy in that building is going to stop. Game over. Yeah. So apartment prices are not generally increasing. If anything, they're going marginally backwards. Mm. Your really good quality older stock stuff, we feel, is generally okay. Like your stuff along St Kilda Road, decent bigger apartments are okay. Are people getting concerned on the new stuff? Yes. Even the 108s and that of the world, people starting to worry because there's all noise. Mm. The facts are these buildings do make noise. If you're going to buy in a seriously high building, they make noise. Mm. Um, But of course, what's put in media does make it sound a lot worse than what it probably is. Mm. Um, But it is having an effect on all the owners in those properties. It is having an effect on the lenders because they are now starting to look into it. You've got the cladding issue, which is probably an even bigger um, problem. I, I think a lot of the noise and the build structures, you know, the fundamental problem, I, I don't think is as big as what people suggest, but the cladding apparently is enormous. Mm. Um, we have property values now starting to make mention of it in their reports. Mm. Um, if they feel there's a cladding issue on the building, because if that gets picked up and there's going to be cost, and if it's not funded by the government, it's, it's dramatic. Mm. Um, and that's on thousands of buildings. Mm. Um, but I saw an article last night on the news, about 170,000 apartments in Melbourne since 2000. That were built with the cladding. Uh, sorry, one hundred seventy thousand oh, built total. apartments in general, which is an enormous amount yep. of apartments in nineteen years, and seventy five percent apparently have some form of defect. Mm. So, is it a market you want to probably stay away from? I would be a big believer in just rent an apartment. I wouldn't buy one. <laughs> um, but therefore, the same goes for lending. Mm. Um, if we think like that. It's generally the same gist across the market. Mm. So if you're going to buy apartments, you want to be making sure you're getting a really solid deal. But the building's probably one of the better quality um, and buildings and, and get it checked out very, very well. And, mm. and you're going to need a fair bit of capital um, and a good amount of equity, really, if you're buying into most apartment buildings. Yeah, which makes it sound as if, look, if everything's going well, you know, that apartment market might manage to hold up or drift sideways. But if we get any trouble, yeah, so let's look out in that, that area yeah. with a huge supply coming on and... Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Why would you pay, you know, in these new, some of the older, better quality buildings, you might have an apartment for $3 million. You've got a brand new one going up. 
mm. in six months where you can redesign it, do everything for the same money. And then six months later, there's another one. So it's so much more dense than buying one house in a street mm. that's not got any other houses coming up because it's an established neighborhood. So mm. you're always going to have this sort of price constraint and restriction and, and, and real fluidity in the, in the values subject to what's going on, what's going up next door. Because that's going to stop you buying. Mm. Yep. Um, therefore, you, you've got to start accepting big discounts to move your properties. Mm. Yeah, so, Stephen, you, and you mentioned in a similar vein, um, so obviously seeing the, the tower cranes up and, uh, and docklands, um, in your experience just with the, the deals that you're doing, have you got some sort of, I guess, uh, pro and con uh, locations, looking more at the geography of where, you know, where, what the property market's sort of up to at the moment, where you're seeing some, some interest and where's, where's it tough? For apartments or in general? Uh, let's move away from apartments. Yeah, okay, yeah just your, your I can't general see stuff much positive in apartments. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> So in general, obviously, we've seen since the election, there has been a, an uptick in, in the property space, but it's realistically up to that sort of million dollar price point as a rule and your really good suburbs. Mm. Your sort of Collingwood's inner east suburbs are still punching well above their weight. Um, you've seen reserves that are going well over at auction. Um, and that sub million dollars your investors are back in. They're buying, first-name buyers are getting back in because they're all in a hurry. Yeah. Um, and, and it sounds as well as this competition about going well, I was thinking oh, maybe would I spend $900,000 on a house or $900,000 on an apartment? Oh, it's a house. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Because yeah. with all the issues going on with apartments, apartments, you're not going to want to be there. Yeah. Um, we, we have a fair bit of uh, confidence in the super high-end market. Um, the above 10 mm-hmm. and the above even 20 in Sydney is super solid. Wow. You know, all the feedback from Asia, a lot of Asian money that will still buy these and they'll pay a million over the odds just to get it. Mm. So not that that's where most people play, but that market is very, very solid. And, and do you think a decent chunk of that's the problems in Hong Kong? Yeah, there's that... a lot of money coming out of Hong Kong, especially um, into Sydney. Mm. Uh, currently, a lot of the agents are, are quite um, pushed by that, yeah. especially Double Bay, certain areas people are looking at, yeah. um, which was already getting full of a lot of Asian money and now Hong Kong money. Mm. Is is looking for a home coming There's out a lot of the top. There. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I saw this, uh, there was a survey out in the last week. There was one that uh, people they're surveying Hong Kong about where you're going to go, and I think fifty percent had said Taiwan, and then Australia was next at thirty percent, and US was like ten percent. Yeah, like mm. they sort of, and this was those numbers don't the numbers added up to greater than a hundred because it's yeah. like saying tick all the countries you would go to, but it was just incredible that three times as many people from Hong Kong are going where are you going to go. I'll go, to, I'll go to Australia rather than the US. Absolutely. And I, I, I can't see Hong Kong issues getting a lot better very soon. So mm. that's going to continue to happen. So you're going to have that influx of money. Um, but back into Melbourne, sort of two to six, seven is, is very hard. It's yeah, a harder market yep. still to move. Yeah. yeah right. um, unless you have obviously its owner occupied space, um, people are generally just still sitting on their hands. I think people buying in that space are more worried about the economy. Than necessarily just buying houses. Mm. Um, and if you look at the the, the, the macro picture of the, around the world, <laughs> there's a lot of issues that are going on. And I think home, first-time buyers are rushing in just to get in because they don't want to miss out on if the property's going to go up by another 50 grand, they want to get in now. Mm. Um, some shrewd investors and, and people um, that are buying, but generally that bigger dollar stuff, people are still sitting on their hands. Mm. Mm, interesting. Uh, just on that, do you do any sort of non-metro deals, or is there sort of anything in the in the regional space? If you just yeah, so come in on that, we lend Australia wide. Yep, uh, number one, and we 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 say we consider every deal because mm-hmm. every deal can be 
a good deal on its merits. Um, but generally, major regional is where we, we cut out. So okay. we'd lend in Ballarat, we'd lend in Bendigo, we'd lend out, out Trelgan Way, all that sort of stuff. On standard resi or commercial or a small sort of farmlet, yep. um, we're not into your 200-acre land sites or, or farms. It's just not our, not our space. And, and the rate we would have to charge for it makes it fairly unviable generally for the borrowers. Yep. Um, having said that, if, if someone had sold their property and they just needed money for three months to, to pay out some version of a debt, they might have an ATO debt they owe or something like that, then we might come in and advance that money because that would make sense to us that we're in and out fairly quickly. Um, but we do lend across Australia. Perth is pretty hard still. Poor old Perth has been struggling for a long time. Yep. Um, we still don't see much going on there, but it, we generally feel it's at the bottom. So a, a conservative lend on a conservative value is not a bad deal. Yep. Um, you know, you've got Adelaide and, and certain areas that are just put along pretty standard. They don't go too crazy up and they don't go too crazy down. Mm. Um, and then we've, the majority of our capital is out on the East Coast. So Brisbane, Gold Coast? What's your... uh, we will lend in Brisbane, Gold Coast. Um, Gold Coast has been... You certainly, you know, hear, you certainly hear a lot about apartments being, being pretty tough up that way uh they have been but in the last sort of 24 months have actually been relatively solid hmm. um if anything that queenslanders perform better than sydney melbourne obviously hmm. um with the decreases that, that sydney and melbourne have seen um but brisbane is probably brisbane apartment market hmm. has always well not has always but last year has been a problem hmm. um been a, a massive oversupply um and the apartment prices have been dropped dramatically we've heard building whole buildings being sold at 50 percent of, of wow. the price they really wanted just yep. to move them on mm-hmm. um so brisbane we've stayed away from quite heavily um gold coast actually been pretty good decent generally again older better quality apartments view of the water there's a lot of people moving from melbourne sydney moving up there mm-hmm. you know a lot of the great nomads are all going out to queensland because you know, look at the weather, yep. right? So there is a bit of money moving into Queensland from the southern states, um, which has kept Gold Coast actually going all right this time around. Um, everyone thought it was just going to go right through to um, the Commonwealth Games, mm. but it actually did continue to go quite solid after that as well. So hasn't been too bad up there. Yep. Okay. Fantastic. On, on the political side, um, so we get so we had this Royal Commission, irresponsible lending, or, or lending that didn't conform to responsible lending laws, yep. and this whole big pullback from the banks, and then we have ASIC lose its case to Westpac, and yeah, our Treasurer and Prime Minister saying we've got to get credit flowing to the to the to the economy. So um, I mean, I guess within the people you know at banks, how are uh, I guess you're facing sort of two bits. One is a judge is coming up saying, "Hey, what you're doing was illegal." Um, you know, there's there's criminal potential criminal cases for it. On the other hand, you've got um, uh, a federal a treasurer and a and a and a government saying, "Get out there and lend as much as you possibly can." Yeah. Where, do, where do you think the, the the fear greed gauge is is? Uh, and then you've got the ACCC getting stuck into them now as well for but, their interest rates. Yes. So uh, you wouldn't want to be a CEO of a bank outside of the pay um it's a hard thing to juggle because Mm. you do have the media uh, and the government pushing saying got to lend money got to lend money you got to pass on rate reductions you've got all these things Mm. then you've got the business side saying well hold on we're also here to make profits and and support shareholders and run a business Mm. um and then you've got court and ASIC saying be very careful what you do because we're going to come after you if you do it wrong Mm. um it's a very difficult uh space to play in yeah. And that's generally the vibe that you get from most of the more sort of senior uh, reps that we deal with in the banks. Um, they want to lend money and generally the banks will come out. And if they are now coming out with a new 
um, product or a leniency on something, it's generally got a business taint to it yep. because it, it does then skirt them outside slightly or at least having to answer with ASIC mm-hmm. um, if they want to try and buy up more, uh, more debt. Um, but realistically, everyone is more worried about ASIC and the, the, um, the judge mm-hmm. than what they are about the government. Yeah. Mm. At the end of the day, they're going, well, hold on, these are the guys are going to smack us with fines and we're going to have major problems. Mm. The government can rattle off as much as they want. Um, we've got to deal with these guys and they've got the bigger stick. Yep. Um, at the moment, and, that, and that's what you're seeing. You're not seeing, even with him, even with interest rates dropping, still not rushing to lend money. It's mm. still very difficult for average Joe to get a loan. Mm. The amount of questions getting asked, the amount of in-depth analysis of your bank statements that is happening is far and beyond anything that ever used to occur. Mm. Um, yes, if you have not a lot of other things going on in your life and you've got your two pay slips and you can do it, you'll probably get your loan just okay. And you may be able to borrow a bit more money because of the lower interest rates, yeah. um, which is a whole other issue in itself. But the facts are, as soon as you step outside of mum and dad pay slip, you're self-employed with a business, wanting access capital, it's very difficult. Even if it's just for your home loan, mm. it's very difficult. The amount of financial data they want, um, which is all answering to the responsible lending guidelines that have been laid out mm. and the fact that no one technically knows mm. how hard you're allowed to go because it's kind of like, well, we'll give you all these guidelines, but you know, ultimately the judge will decide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, thanks. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll try and make the best call. Yeah. And everyone's just sitting back and that, that's a lot of the problem. Um, it's a very hard one to, to judge and when's it going to end? Mm. I don't think it will. It will just obviously decipher itself and mm. certain banks will start doing certain things and see how long they can get away with it and then the other ones will jump on board. But yeah. It's a tough play at the moment. And do you think in terms of this whole demand supply um, issue as well is that there was a, there's a lot around saying, well, um, yes, uh, the clearance rate on, on uh, auctions and all these other things have jumped and, and prices have certainly jumped. But it's all on very low volumes at the moment because the right. supply just isn't yeah. there on the for, for for land. Sorry, not for land for for houses. For houses yeah. yeah. Um, do you have any feel on whether that's starting to, uh, I guess, on, at the ground level, whether it's starting to free up a bit, or is that still most people sort of sitting on their hands? Yeah, in I that think space? that that is a good point. Like a lot of people say, oh, the clearance rates are up, which is great, but mm. the supply is half of what it was. Mm. Um, so you, you'd want your clearance rate to be um, up there a fair <laughs> bit. But the, the scary thing is our clearance rates are only up because their interest rates keep getting lower and lower and lower. Mm. Um, what happens when they can't keep getting lower is going to be the, the real question. Mm. Um, it's all artificially pushing the prices up. Um, still, is it going to continue trending up? You know, our, our feel from most of the agents we speak to that are quite realistic, mm. um, not just on the sales side of things, yeah. is it, it's going to be just a few more bumps in the road going up. It's not really going to be a whole other. We're not looking at another property growth. Um, a spike for 2020. Yep. Um, if anything, we just had this boom since the election, which started, and it's continued with a bit of good grace with a few lower interest rates. It's not. There's no other reasons mm. why that's going to continue to go up. There's mm. still a lot of fear, and most investors that have been around there were actually very concerned about the what's going to happen. Mm. Right? Super low interest rates, nowhere else to go, mm. share markets at all time highs. Donald Trump doing what he's doing in the US, mm. there's a lot of concern that sooner or later something's going to pop. Mm. Um, so I can't see real investors jumping in too hard into the property market mm. through 2020 that's going to create exponential growth. 
Yeah. Um, I just yeah. just can't see that. And and then because I guess we our sort of initial take was that a lot of this was just sort of pent up demand in terms of people who hadn't bought over the last and year. People or two. were sitting because they worried about labour getting in. Exactly. Right? So then and all then those guys are jump back in now. Flush. And now you yeah. can say, well, does next? We need another wave now, investors. Now that might be people deciding they want to borrow ninety five percent of their home to as a first home buyer to to jump into the market. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that you, that you wouldn't be particularly comfortable lending to somebody on a ninety five percent. Yeah, that's not not our not our space. I've, I've, uh, that's 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 the federal government space. That's uh, the yeah, space. That's the, the the bank of um, the government. That's for sure. Yeah. And it, it's look at the end of the day, people have got to get into the market if that's what they want to do. Um, the Australian dream, right? Everyone wants to buy their house. Yeah. But, you know, long-term averages of interest rates is, yeah. a, is a concern if you ever think they're going to get back there. Because if you're borrowing 95% and you're borrowing with not a lot of money left in the bank every month mm. and you're borrowing it at 2.9%, mm. what's going to happen if that rate ever hits 6 Yeah. Now, I can't see them going up for a hell of a long time. Yeah. I think that, was it but, limited to sort of 600 grand or something? Was that right? Ah, uh, yeah, Probably. the, the yeah. Um, incentive. Yeah. yeah. There was yeah. a limit on it. Yeah. Um, but still, the, a lot of people so, have borrowed up their, their eyeballs oh, absolutely. at a very low interest rate, thinking yeah. how good it is. Mm. But if interest rates go up, which again, I can't see them happening for a long time, mm. but sooner or later, yeah, um, that's where we're going to see major problems. Yeah. Well, and the, the other one we're watching pretty closely as a whole um, yeah, is, the, is the employment side. Mm. So we're sort of going, is it, yeah, I saw that the other day. Yeah. yeah. And it's just that take on, on Perth. You know, Perth yeah. had exactly the same credit conditions as everywhere else, but prices managed to fall over there while, while they were booming in Sydney and Melbourne yeah. because unemployment was sticking up and it's just that whole, you know, if that doesn't hold together, then you might want to keep your house, but if you haven't got a job. Yeah, pretty yeah. hard to pay for it when you don't have any income. So, yeah. and, and Perth was exactly that. It was, you know, the mining boom mm. stopped. Mm. You're no longer getting 200 grand a year to drive a truck around mm. and good luck. Yeah. You know, you can't afford the debt that you, you've leveraged up mm. um, and it came off at a rate of knots. Yeah. So. Um, foreign builders? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just a, it was actually a question that um, was called in, uh, knowing that you were coming on board. This. So uh, it was just a question around uh, foreign, and I guess and you've mentioned um, Chinese, and there was some Chinese marketing uh, company shenanigans in, in pre-orders yeah. as well. Um, I guess over the, the last few years into the boom and then obviously into the plateau, and fallen plateau, um, have you had an experience in, in the, their input into the market and, and what they're currently doing now, Stephen? Yeah, sure. So look, a little bit of a hard one for us is we don't really fund development. Um, but we've all seen Chinese developers buying a lot of the assets out there, um, buying old properties that they're going to be knocking over and developing. And you saw a lot of the time where the Australian-based developer was pulling out of the auction. Mm. There was no margin left in that deal. He's no longer bidding and it sells to a Chinese owner. Um, we had a, a loan not long ago come in and it was a Chinese um, investor and they had something about 160 properties wow. in Australia and they're all heavily got a development taint on them all. Yep. Um, so these guys were just buying up, buying up, buying up, buying up. But their ability to get capital is yeah. another issue. Well, and I was just going to say, so if the, if the Aussie, the local guys um, who know the market, you know, obviously very well, are getting rubbed out um, on margin, then what's the incentive for, what's the Chinese going back? They need to get the money out. <laughs> hey, they're just getting the money out. It's just, a, it's just a parking spot, essentially. We believe. Yeah. Right. Generally, it yeah. is. If you're no different to why are they buying the, the over $10 million house and the, they're paying a million over the odds just to get it. Yep. They yep. just want their money out. They want it into a, what they would deem a safe asset. Yep. Um, and if they pay a bit over the odds, well, 
So be it. It's insurance. It's in. Yeah. Um, Money laundering costs you 20, 30%. So yeah. if, you can, uh, if you just have to pay a million dollars extra on a $20 million house, it's, it's cheap. Yeah. Okay. So look, there's, there's all that side of it. Their, their ability to get the finance away, though, is, is another problem because they are, A, generally a, a non resident. They might have obviously their FERB approval subject to however they bought the asset. Um, getting the finance is, is a problem because a lot of the banks aren't going to lend to them. They don't have, again, that track history. Um, second tiers may or may not subject to what they can stack up yep um but if they've got the capital they're not going to mind paying the extra rates i would suggest when we not that we fund development we see a lot of applications for it i would say one in three would be an asian borrower wow yeah that you see because they're trying to get a development away and they're happy to pay and they're looking locally. There's no to get the funding. Yeah. Oh, look. They, when they come to us, obviously, are. Yeah. Um, there are quite a few Chinese banks and um, Hong Kong banks that are lending in Australia and doing some of this development finance. Yep. You don't generally see a lot of it going on because it's just not our market. Mm. They're using Chinese brokers, they're using mm. Chinese banks, and we're we're just not in that space. Yep. Um, you do hear of it, and we also deal with some Chinese brokers that approach us with these deals. You say it's just not our cup of tea, mm-hmm. and, they, and they get some crazy deals. Sometimes they get some super cheap money as well from overseas, but it's not. It's a very much a community that's generally stick together yep. quite a bit, um, and we just not don't play in that space. And they're still they haven't fled the market yet. Because we certainly saw some. Uh, sorry, is it Rayland that fell over? Yeah, and um, so you've seen. I guess the. The issue with some of these, as you said, these people buying up lots and lots of property, and we saw it with Japan. Sorry, Japan back in the eighties, yeah. where you know came up to Australia, bought up a whole bunch of properties. You have a problem in Japan, and then all of a sudden they want to get out. They're all selling their Australian properties to to take their money back to to, to fix the problems they've got at home. Um, that doesn't seem to be the case yet in Australia, even though we've seen a few fall, falling over. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think so. To be fair, the mm. the, the loans to Asian borrowers generally perform better than any of the other ones mm. so currently the, the, their backing is still there and they aren't needing it yep. obviously you know, the old one that falls over and, and, yeah, and that's as you do with everyone. life is yep. um, but as a performing book and even if you look at outside of development the, or the uh, non-resident loan debacle of a couple of years ago um, where Westpac and a few other banks have written all these non-resident deals and they hadn't uh, adhered to the uh, NCCP when they wrote them um, technically uh, all those loans though never missed a beat Mm. Right, they might not have. Maybe their payslips were uh, created, yep. but the borrowers never missed a beat. Yeah, well, they're right. the best performing loan books you can yeah. get. Yeah. They might not. They shouldn't have got the loan, but they, they don't miss. Yeah, right. Um, so it's quite intriguing how they managed to keep getting the money and and holding everything up. Mm. Okay, very good. Well, look, I'm conscious of your your time, and thanks very much for uh, you know a terrific fifty uh, odd minutes spent today. Um, would you mind just uh, letting our listeners know how they can get in touch with with you, and um, yeah, if there's any interest in in, in what you guys are doing um, to follow up? Yeah. Sure, thank you. Um, so, look, if it's regarding uh, the placement of a loan that uh, may be needed more in the second tier space, if someone's got a uh, a debt that they they need to pay out somewhat rapidly, um, they can check out Resicom at www.resicom.com.au. Um, if you're an investor or you need money uh, as well in the more private space and go to oakcapital.com.au I'm more than happy to help. Wonderful. Okay, well, thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks, thanks very much. On. Cheers. Excellent. So, Damien, uh, some terrific time spent there with Stephen Mitchell. Uh, obviously got a lot of experience in an area of the finance and mortgage market that is uh, probably not always as well known as, as it should be. So, uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, look, I always think this is a very interesting part to, to sort of peel back the, uh, the cover on and have a look. Uh, and as you said, you know, the, I think... You get some of the guys who have been in the industry for a long time, and they get to see the the, the cycles, and they get to see as uh, as 
conditions are easy and all these other people move in and go, isn't this great? Isn't he? We can lend money and, and, and there's all this money to make from it. And then when, when the uh, proverbial hits the fan is when the cockroaches scatter and you start seeing, you know, the, the problems start to come about. And so it's interesting, very interesting to see sort of his views on, on where we are in the cycle and, and some of the, the um, I guess the differences we're really seeing, it's, this really hasn't been a traditional property cycle. And I, I think of a traditional property cycle as, um, you know, you start getting this extra lending and, and sort of uh, at, in at the bottom of the cycle and uh, then the extra lending ch- chases prices higher because there's not enough property out there and nobody's been building. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, everyone gets everyone starts reading about it in the paper and prices take another big leg up and then you start getting some, some development start but the development's lagged because it takes a couple of years to get on board. And so by that stage, there's this huge avalanche of lending coming and, and looser lending standards. And everyone's talking about how great property is and it always goes up and it doubles every seven years. Mm. And, and then you get this, then you start seeing the, the, the supply hit the top, hit the, hit the market at the top. Yep. And the whole thing comes unraveled. And then banks sort of start going, just a minute, why did we lend on all those projects? Stop that lending right yep. now, you know, and then at, right at the worst time. So, and, you know, and, and then that's your property cycle. It falls over and, and you go back to per- nobody lending on property and, and, and then start again. Um, and whereas Australia has really been messed up this time around. So what we've seen is we've sort of seen this bit where um, we've got this mining crash going on, which is which is affecting Perth and the Perth properties are falling. But meanwhile, we've got this massive lending boom while banks are, are, are basically lending irresponsibly and, and using measures, you know, poverty measures to assess everyone. And so we've got this huge influx of, of, of money coming into sort of the eastern states and pushing prices higher. Then we have... Um, we don't have a traditional crash. What we have is we have this Royal Commission starting to say, just a minute, you guys are lending irresponsibly. And it's like saying, well, we've, we've, we've sort of had the, um, we hadn't reached the climax yet. You yeah. know, we, we sort of, <laughs> we started pulling back on lending before we actually started to see the, the whole thing to come to a natural end. Yep. And so that's sort of happened. And then halfway down the, down the fall, we've then had the government step in. We've had a, you know, everyone's expecting a, a Labor government and we've actually got a Liberal government come in mm. and they're like, we're, we're supporting house prices. You know, we'll do whatever it takes to, to keep house prices high. You know, we've been voted in to, to, to not let ha- your house price fall. And then the RBA on top of that. And the RBA uh, cutting rates and, and we've got APRA sort of loosening lending standards when they were sort of being told, hey, you guys have been way too loose on the banks and then all of a sudden they're turning around saying, well, banks are going to assess their own risk criteria. We don't need to, we don't mm. need to do it for them. Um, and then we've got ASIC out there saying, well, we are going to take people to jail. Yep. <laughs> we are, sorry, we are, well, try and take people to jail. We, we are going to prosecute. And so it's this really messed up um, property cycle and just getting a, a hang on where, where it is and where it's going. And to us, it very much seems as if there's there's not a lot of upside in it. So um, there's all these things being thrown at the property cycle to try and hold it, hold these prices at a high level as long as we possibly can because people have voted us in for that. Yep. Um, and we're shooting all the bullets that we'd use to usually save the housing market when you do have a crash. Mm. We're sort of shooting them early to, to – and so when – if we do have um, – uh, say an employment issue, uh, the the construction in particular is where that looks like it might start, and and if, if that sort of blows everything off off target, or we have um, an external shock for a trade war or Brexit or you know any number of dozen sort of different things that are going on internationally, then the Australian property market could be in real trouble. And so we're sort of you're sort of looking at this part where you're going, if things can just hold together, we'll be all right, versus the Otherwise, there's, there's a significant downside. Mm. And so um, what I found quite interesting in terms of uh, what Stephen was saying was um, the, the, what, what he's seeing on the ground seems to add up with what, what, we're, what we're expecting yep. um, still. We're sort of not seeing anything dramatically different. Uh, that whole part about developers just cannot get finance. 
is a big issue. And mm. that's where that employment side comes because I'll keep, I've sort of mentioned during the, the, the podcast, but I'll, I'll reiterate it, is Perth had the same condition, same economic conditions as the rest of Australia except for a rising unemployment rate. Yep. Some people go, oh, yeah, but they didn't have the same population. Perth had a big population inflow. Mm. They were growing at rates well above what you see in any other industrial country. Yep. Yes, it was below what Sydney, Melbourne was, but it still had a, a, a solid inflow into Perth. It wasn't about the, the, the population. It was about unemployment ticking up. Yep. And if unemployment ticks up in the, in the eastern states, then, then we're in the same, same spot. And so the fact that developers still can't get that finance is where um, the, the, one of the main concerns for us is in terms of weakness in the economy. Uh, in terms of the lending part, um, it was interesting. I guess I, I probably what I didn't know was there had been as much expansion in his area, and that's always always a concern. As you know, as he said, he's just standing back, going, "No, that's fine. I don't I don't need that deal." But but it makes sense though that that people chasing yield and they just keep chasing yield further and further down the down the rabbit hole. Mm. Um, and the idea that um, you know, there's obviously a bunch of people out there who have done a bunch of lending, and then when you do get problems, they're like, "Oh." Oh, we actually didn't factor in the fact that maybe we need to go to court to get this money back, and yep. and and that's where um, you know people start walking away from from deals, and then you start getting those ones falling over, distress and, sales, and yeah. exactly, yep. and that's where that's where things can get you know can, can spiral out of control, um, and so uh, yeah, so I guess, and then this whole the other mess part part of the property cycle is this whole. Uh, uh, apartments versus houses part where and he's again confirming what we heard from from Catherine, Catherine and from uh, Susan Farquhar yep. a lot long ago is that area of the market that sort of I don't know you probably two to eight the, I think you said or two to ten mil two to ten mil yep. well and it's more the ones where he's saying it's a sub million market where uh, everyone's interested because it's that whole part about well I could have I'm choosing between an apartment and a house I'm not buying an apartment mm. there's too many problems with apartments and then we've got this big wave of apartments just starting to crash onto the Wave of supply starting to crash, and everyone's just going, "No, no, no, that's fine. I'll buy a house." And so yep. we're seeing that whole house, that, that sort of sub million dollar house, being bid up yep. while while we've got um, apartment prices <laughs> coming backwards. Yep, sure. And so, uh, yeah, I guess where I'm trying to get to with this is, it is this is not a typical property cycle, mm. and it's really quite different. And I think uh, anyone who's got certainty about where this is going um, needs to have a good close look at. What assumptions they're making because I, I think there's it's, it's extremely uncertain but it, but at the moment for me it very much seems limited upside a lot of downside and so um, yeah we're, we're playing it very cautiously okay very good 